Hagen Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today just before the holidays with the distinct pleasure of speaking with Hannah Kinsey, who I've just learned is squeezing this in just before getting married in a few weeks on top of all the holidays that are about to come. So this is an almost an unimaginably busy time in your life, Hannah. I, I really appreciate you taking this break to speak with me for a few minutes. Oh, no, it's absolutely fine. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. Congratulations on all that's going on in your life. And for those who don't know you, I'll mention that Hannah is a lecturer in pharmacy practice at the University of East Anglia. And we'll be discussing a paper that she and her co-authors have coming out in the February 2022 issue of Medical Education entitled Longitudinal Placements for Trainee Pharmacists Learning Whilst Improving Patient Care. It took me only one month to get the year correct because last month I recorded three and said 2021, all mistakenly. So my poor assistant has been doing a lot of work to try to edit me. (laughs) I want to talk with you about this particular paper, though, for a variety of reasons. First of all, the content, but the longitudinal qualitative methodology that you used is quite unique. Just before getting to that, though, maybe it's best if we start with some context. And I should ask you to let others know, are longitudinal integrated clerkships new to pharmacy education in the UK? Are they new to your school? What's the general context with respect to how these things are typically used in your area? So longitudinal integrated clerkships don't really exist in pharmacy training in the UK at all. Any sort of clerkship or placement within the undergraduate pharmacy degree is often very short-lived, perhaps only consisting of in total a couple of weeks across a four-year period. Um, The workplace training or the one year of foundation training happens in what's kind of known as the fifth year. And the traditional model is that trainee pharmacists will spend one year in one workplace, but there's no alignment with the longitudinal integrated clerkship nature of what we see in medical education and what we're beginning to see more of, it doesn't really exist in pharmacy education in the UK at all. And so this particular project that you've engaged, is at the beginning of an LIC or have you had it established in your institution for a bit of time now? No, it's the beginning of an LIC. So the fifth year, the foundation pharmacist training year in kind of one workplace i.e. such as a hospital that normally consists of trainee pharmacists rotating between different areas every two to three weeks and the introduction of this type of model first happened in 2018-2019 and that was the first iteration of us trying to introduce something associated with a longitudinal integrated clerkship type model. Um, What motivated it? A recognition from two of the hospitals who the chief pharmacists they recognised that their training the kind of frequent rotations wasn't doing enough to equip pharmacists ready for their first role their day one on the job as a registered pharmacist and they wanted to do something to improve the training but they didn't know what so they then approached the university and said we would like to do something to improve how we educate and train our pharmacists during this one year that they have with us but we don't know where to start can you do a research project and look into developing something for us I was then recruited as a PhD student and the basis for my PhD work was to establish an improved way of educating pharmacists and I came across the longitudinal integrated clerkship through my reading in the medical education literature and I look to adapt that for the pharmacy training. 
clearly discovered in that literature that there is good evidence that LICs can be effective and can have a variety of advantages. You mentioned in the opening of your paper that there's a need to explore how LICs become a viable training model for learners. Do you mind just elaborating a little bit on the gap that you saw in that literature when you came to it? Yeah, so I'd seen lots of papers exploring and comparing the difference between students on kind of short rotational training models and longitudinal integrated clerkships and lots of reported benefits for the students on the longitudinal integrated clerkships and better integration with the team, in some cases, better exam scores and greater levels of professionalism, etc. But there wasn't necessarily that underpinning exploration of why that was the case. And so that was something that I was keen to explore was not just kind of would it work in pharmacy, but if it did, then how is this model working so much better? Because initially when first introducing the longitudinal integrated clerkship into pharmacy education, I faced a lot of barriers to overcome within the profession, trying to convince people to change how we educate and train. And I begin to recognize there was a need for greater understanding of how this model worked in order to be able to bring people on the journey with me to kind of see actually this is better training because we can understand why it's able to provide a better training experience. Well, and that leads nicely into what I alluded to at the start of this conversation, which is the uniqueness of the results that you've applied. Not brand new, but rarely adopted the work that makes it into our literature. And the two pieces I just want to highlight and get your thoughts on are the design-based nature of the research and the qualitative longitudinal analysis that you applied. What was it that led you down those paths? And do you mind explaining for our listeners, given that they are both relatively rare, what the key features of those approaches were that you built into the study? Yeah, absolutely. So a design-based research approach, it's not a methodology. It's an approach that you use to design a educational intervention. So the idea is that you design a new training program or something to do with education and you use the design-based research approach to inform how you go about doing that. So my starting place was, you know, you need to design a new training program for pharmacists and I had a blank piece of paper. I didn't know where to begin, but the design-based research approach provides a really nice structure for where you need to start. So it talks about starting by the first stage of exploration and analysis. So you look to kind of explore what the current views are of people around pharmacy education and training in my case. So I went, I sought different stakeholders' views on what they thought about the current training model and ideas for their, you know, if we're going to introduce a new type of training model, what it should consist of. The second part of the design-based research approach is then taking that information that you've done in the first phase and actually using it to then come up with an educational intervention design that's solely based on what your stakeholders have kind of told you that they want to see. So there are multiple benefits to doing it that way by kind of involving stakeholders at the very beginning as to what the education intervention should look like. The first is that you're bringing people on the journey with you. So you're more likely to succeed at the stage of implementation when you've had people who've said, I want the new training program to look like this. And they're more likely to then be engaged in delivering it at the end. It also has the advantage of it's more likely to succeed because the stakeholders in my case were healthcare practitioners, not just pharmacists, but doctors and nurses. So because they're able to suggest things that they know would work in their context. So then you're likely to develop a training program that is going to actually 
be successful. It's not about me imposing my ideas about what I think is a good training program and will be a good training program for their setting. It's about them coming up with those ideas themselves. And then the final stage of the design-based research approach is the evaluation side of things. So the evaluation of when you've introduced an education intervention takes different forms depending on at what stage of introducing the intervention you are. So with my research paper, I did something called uh, beta testing as part of the evaluation, which is where I looked at the viability of the training program, which is about how and why the longitudinal placement was able to survive. So I had three trainee pharmacists undertake it, and none of them chose to finish it early None of them chose to quit. None of the staff wanted them to quit the placement. It ran as it should have done. So I was exploring, well, how and why was it able to survive? And the second part of the beta testing is about the institutionalization. So that's about looking at the wider context of, okay, this is the culture of the workplace that we're in. How is the intervention or the longitudinal integrated clerkship in this instance able to kind of manifest and be able to go on to repeat itself in the future. Well, and an additional component of most design-based research that you've just described implicitly is that sort of iterative longitudinal nature as you're learning as you go and trying to make improvements. And so how did that feed into the particular analysis? You said that you use a trajectory approach, and I suspect most of our listeners won't have come across that term before. Yeah, so I undertook a longitudinal qualitative analysis on the trainee pharmacist data. So essentially what that means is that I interviewed the trainee pharmacist four times over the course of their placement at week zero, week three, four or five, week seven or eight and week 14. So when you are undertaking data analysis like that and you're interviewing the same person over multiple time points and you're trying to analyze that data, it's increasingly more complex because you're looking at change over time as well as change between people. So a trajectory approach to longitudinal qualitative analysis is about where you focus on the differences over time rather than the differences between the individuals. So a trajectory approach involves you coding the data according to the time which the interview took place in and looking for patterns in the data across time. So what were the trainee pharmacists experiencing week zero? What were they experiencing at week four? And what were they experiencing at week eight? And how is their evolution going? The alternative to the trajectory approach is a kind of case-by-case analysis. So that's where you look at the differences between the trainee pharmacists. So if, for example, I had just done one interview with each trainee pharmacist at the end of their placement, I would have probably compared and contrasted the three of them and looked at their cases individually, whereas a trajectory approach is more focused about the change over the time. And at the beginning, you alluded to you needing to better understand you know, how or why these placements work. So without delaying gratification of people any further, what is it that you know now as a result of having applied those methods that you didn't know when you started exploring that literature? Yeah, we recognize that time was a really important aspect of the clerkship and we didn't know at what point the time became really important. So by doing the multiple interviews over time, we were able to establish the point at which the trainee pharmacist became a member of the team. 
and that happened to be around week eight. And that's where we started to see things really begin to change, both in terms of the trainees' behaviour and also the staff's response to them as well. So we didn't know that at the beginning when we set out. We didn't know at what time point things would begin to change, if they would begin to change. There were a lot of questions if we were going from a model where students worked in one area for two weeks by extending that to 13 weeks. There are a lot of questions from the stakeholders about that that 13-week period. A lot of people were concerned that it would be too long in one place. And so we also, as a research team, wanted to establish, well, okay, are they right? Is 13 weeks too long or is it too short? And we would only have been able to find that out by interviewing and going in several times over that period and that's what we were able to learn from it is that that kind of sweet spot where somebody transitions from just being a learner from the outside or the periphery of a team or a community of practice suddenly being in the center for our trainee pharmacists happened around weeks eight to ten and so is this a model now that you are convinced you should be trying to encourage other pharmacy schools in the uk or elsewhere to start adopting Yes, absolutely. So in this paper, we started with two hospitals. Currently, there are 13 hospitals in England who are running this type of program now, and I'm hoping to recruit more in the coming year. I've got a few more talks and workshops to give. But yeah, essentially, this is a model that we're hoping that the majority of foundation training programs will move to in the future. So having learned what you did in the study, what has your sales pitch become? How are you convincing those other hospitals to come on board? It's kind of multifaceted. So it's a case of engaging with people and helping them to understand why a short rotational model of training, i.e. two to three weeks, isn't supporting trainees to become independent learners in their own right. So there's kind of one element. Let's look at the current model. What do we know about this from learning theory and what the literature tells us and then there's the presentation of well this is a longitudinal placement and um, this is how it can work and um, this is why it works and um, these are then some of the positive findings that we've had from it that we've got you know ex-trainees who are all for it who are thriving in their first jobs as hospital pharmacists as a result of undertaking this training now but I always have to kind of caveat this with the longitudinal placement isn't a be all and end all solution. It doesn't necessarily guarantee a trainee to have an amazing learning experience over that 13 week period, but it makes it a far more likely to be a beneficial experience because of the continuity within the team and the time that they have in one place than it does if they were on, say, a two to three week rotational type of program. Well, and I just want to make sure that we don't gloss over too much those benefits you're describing and it sounds like there were many benefits to the learner from learning in this way but you also saw some greater contributions to patient care do you mind just explaining what you were looking for and what you saw in those regards yeah so we didn't go into this study looking for improvements in patient care at all we weren't expecting to have any really because they're still kind of training healthcare professionals but actually a lot of the comments from the staff were about how having trainee pharmacists there did result in improved patient care through things like having prescription queries answered faster medicines were arriving on the ward quicker they were able to sort out some very complex and difficult patients with difficult medical needs particularly medicine needs as well so I think that the staff working on the wards because they had obviously kind of seen what it was like before the trainee came and then when the trainee was there they were able to notice a sizable difference consistently for doctors and nurses and the pharmacists to report to me that they had seen a shift 
in the type of care that patients were having. Um, more patients were provided with medication counselling. Uh, discharge letters were written more thoroughly because the trainee pharmacists had more time and they were more embedded in the team. So they knew what was going on more with the medicines and with the patients. So there was kind of just a bit more safety netting, I think is probably how I would describe it for these these patients um, during the course of the placement, which was really surprising and we were delighted to find because we didn't anticipate that would be the case. Right. Yeah, no, it sounds like a very positive experience all around. I'm sure there were bumps on the road that we've glossed over a little bit as there always would be, but it sounds like it's been a very positive experience, both for the educational development, for your own PhD studies in any number of ways. So congratulations on completing the work. Thank you very much. It has been a very interesting rocky road but it's great to kind of be here at this point and seeing kind of thrive and we learned some difficult lessons along the way but now we have a model that seems to be adaptable and working in different contexts and I think that's one of the strengths of having used the design-based research approach is that we developed a model which because it was informed by the stakeholders it's then actually been able to be adapted and taken on board by different hospitals with totally different types of patient groups and settings and environments all across the country that it's kind of been able to work successfully as a result of that. So I'm definitely a big advocate of the design-based research approach for anyone wanting to start designing something like this from scratch. Yeah, no, wonderful. I am too. And I appreciate you sharing the lessons that you learned with this paper and on this call. For anybody who wants the additional details to see the more elaborated version of some of the lessons that you stand to gain from the work that Hannah Kinsey and her co-authors have done, you'll find it in the February 2022 issue of Medical Education under the title Longitudinal Placements for Trainee Pharmacists, Learning Will Improving Patient Care. Again, Hannah, congratulations on the work. Congratulations on your PhD. Congratulations on your upcoming wedding. I hope that everything goes exceptionally smoothly next month. Great. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for talking to me. 